Wizards of infinite and cosmic rule return to uncover life's greatest mysteries, prophesize the future of the cosmos, and enchant their way into your hearts. I'm Mo. And I'm Austin. And we discuss high magic versus low magic in today's episode of Dungeons and Brews. And welcome to Dungeons and Brews, everybody. As always, welcome I am back. Austin, and we are excited. Sorry, I'm talking. So over excited. Apologies. No, it, it's beautiful. You can just tell the energy is in the room. We are so excited to be back here, especially on this topic of high magic versus low magic, which is going to be one of, I think, one of our more interesting lore dives. Because this we're is be definitely going to be a big lore dive. Big here, lore huh? dive. We're going to be diving into a few different settings. But before that, I kind of Master like... Austin, how have you been? First of all. <laughs> How have things been going? I've been great. I've been great. Busy with work as always, but you know, uh, we've been still getting a lot of Dungeons and Dragons time in. Um, You know, I one of the campaigns is now graduated into adult D and D, not baby D and D. So I took the training wheels off. The training wheels, and I had their first true medium encounter, and someone almost got dragged off the ship and died. Yay! Yay! Sorry, Lady Vastra. I know you're listening. Um, But make sure you have water breathing casted on you. Are you doing spell jammer? My bad. At all, at all times. But I did want to bring up something interesting because I have noticed sometimes um, at my table the players will roll on like their phone if they're like "Ah, I'm just going to click the D and D Beyond again. Not sponsored by D and D Beyond yet. Yet not sponsored yet. And Pepsi, I'm still coming for that ass. Pepsi, (laughs) coming for that ass. Pepsi. Um, But do you have a preference at the table? If you're with all of your players, do you let them roll with only physical, only uh, virtual dice, or do you not really care? To quote a uh, fantastic and amazing DM, uh, you may recognize him from shows like Dimension 20, Brendan Lee Mulligan, him and Abrea Iyengar one time talked about it. Since time immemorial, people have been wanting to roll their clickety-clacks. If it ain't a clickety-clack, I don't want it at my table. However, I do have players in my campaign that do will occasionally roll on the virtual tabletop. I don't know what it is about having the power of fate in your hand. Mind you, it's a D20. It's what, 5%? Mm-hmm. Memory serves me correct, you know, and not just memory, math. But, but <laughs> you know, when you roll, you can take a roll on one guess. You can take a roll on another side. You can take a roll here and add it there. There's something about having that power inside of your own hands and rolling it is the greatest feeling on earth. Also, uh, Natural 15. <laughs> uh, well, uh, hold on. I got to find my... Are we doing an early dice battle? An early dice battle. Early dice battle, since we are on the topic. That is the definition of cock. You literally rolled it right down the center of my table here. <laughs> and I rolled a three, which means that uh, we're back tied up three to three. Just the way the fates would want it to be dictated. Truly, fate is equal. 
we were never going to roll but speaking in a virtual of tabletop holding wall. fate and power in your hand do you want to tell us a little bit about the brew for this episode Mo? today uh brewmaster austin we are focusing on a war pigs brewing company here and we decided to pick up one of their hazy indie uh ipas a uh, foggy geezer is what we decided to uh go with here a uh, great little time here for us to plug our lovely untapped profile uh dungeons and brews zero one all one big word there uh check it out guys we review all our lovely uh concoctions that we've had on here and pretty fun pretty exciting i've been loving them all so uh shall we brewmaster austin in three uh two uh one oh wow that's a really strong ipa that's but an ipa but it's not bad but it's also one that if you have more than what? three of <laughs> i wish you well, best and of luck it also endeavors. a side effect that they don't list on there is you just have the incurable urge to sing war pigs by black sabbath don't do it. We will. We, no, no, no. We, we are going to get canceled. <laughs> but um, there's no, never been a faster copyright claim. And you're in law and you should know that. Well, and we get 15 Austin. seconds for free, basically. Oh, 15 yeah. seconds. Yeah, it's like 15 well, seconds. All right, we're good. <laughs> so but I did want to also on a, the adjacent topic of uh, virtual versus real dice. I wanted to talk on something that. I think everybody has a question on at times is how do you handle a nat one versus a nat 20, both in combat and in social situations? I believe we have gotten this as a, actually a, a request on some of our, our, our lovely discord. Again, check the profile link here. I'm basically the sponsored guy. <laughs> I realized that I'm completely all the sponsorships, all the sponsorships, but uh, yeah, I, so it's weird. I know I've bounced around with it back and forth in my campaign. I've bounced, which is inconsistent and it's not fair to the players and it's not fair to me as well. But I don't believe in natural 20s being auto successes. Mind you, the current uh, restructuring of 1D&D, uh, 1 formerly known as 1D&D, is kind of leaning towards that route about making natural 20s auto successes and natural ones auto failures. I don't think that's a good setup. I do think a natural one, though, however, is an auto failure, right? I think because think about it on let's say on, a, on an attack, right? The, let's say a creature has 25 AC. There's and there's no way you're hitting it unless you roll a natural 20, correct? So that would be, yes, technically an auto success. But skill checks in particular for me, that's where I draw the line. No, I want my skill check to be 25-30. 25-30 hard, and then 30 being that nearly impossible route. And again, you can find a lot of this in your DMG, guys. So make sure to go check it on out. And also something that I didn't know, so I wanted to also update everybody. I did go buy a new DM screen. I haven't had one in a few years, um, but I did buy just one of the pre- Finally. The like, ones they send you with the books, like D&D &D official, like Woods of the Coast. Like, So it's a little you know, cardboard cutout, but it's got a few, and it has the DC setting, so that's what made me think of it. I kind of do the same. Um, <clears throat> I do think that I may, depending on the campaign, I make nat ones, especially in combat, either funny or if it's more of a serious campaign, maybe there might be some risk of damage or like break of a of an item or something like that. Obviously not a magical item, but you know, something like that. But in social situations, I think I kind of do it similar to you where if you roll a nat 20, it is as good as your character could do. So for example, one that comes to mind in a scenario off the top of my head is like if I have you know, a bard who's like trying to lift a heavy stone off of the barbarian who didn't roll a good deck save, right? And you're like, you need to roll a 25 to do it and you have a minus two to your strength score. 
yeah, you may have rolled a natural 20, but you are not going to be able to lift that off. You're doing as well as you could. I might give the barbarian advantage to like shimmy out or something like that. Now, or, you uh, aren't adjusting you, the DC based on for the barbarian. Else, for right, the barbarian. Yeah, because so that's always possible. Yeah. You can. yeah. But, you know, I don't think that if you are someone who physically cannot, like I, basically how I view a nat 20 in a social situation like that, where you're like, especially in a strength situation, is it is your adrenaline to the max. And this is the peak of what you and your physical form could do. Correct. So like, yeah, you may be lifting it only three inches, but that three inches is infinitely more than anyone thought you could do with a seven strength score. A hundred percent. And it's just, it's, it, it just doesn't make sense. Like it, you're not, Again, I, I've always talked about this before, but I've talked about the uh, idea of a cobalt, like classic cobalts, right? They automatically have a minus two, to, right. uh, to not to their strength, but it, it's a minus two to whatever that stat w would be. Right. So if you rolled a 10, it's going to be down to an eight right. on that, that thing. It just, it doesn't make sense, right? You're not going to supersede the laws of physics, <laughs> at least at that point, to go and pick up that heavy rock, right? I always think of that great scene from the Batman. And it's like, yeah, oh, yeah. all those push-ups. My friend, uh, my great, uh, good friend, my my DM occasionally when I do uh, decide to play my PC, it's rare. But uh, he he always just uh, does that great line of just like, oh, all of those push-ups. And what are they for? What are they good for, Can't right? Can't even lift a bloody board. Can't even lift a bloody board, right? But it's just, it is what it is. Yeah. I just, I don't believe in natural 20s being auto successes. But I again, I'm with you. Auto auto fails, it does happen. Yeah. And I think, it's, I think it's only fair. Yeah. But- that kind of leads us to kind of what we're here for. The mysteries of magic and creation here, Brewmaster Austin. Now, let's talk. I think before we can really dive into high magic versus low magic, we should talk a little bit about the creation of magics in some settings. And mind you, I said magics. So if you want to spell it with a K, whatever, guys. It makes your setting unique and cool. But Let's talk a little bit about it. So for instance, let's dive in a little bit into the Forgotten Realms setting or Exandria or Dark Sun setting. I know something that's something you're extremely familiar with there, and I've only know a little history on it. But Forgotten Realms is like a, a very huge one there to talk about. Like we can talk in, uh, to the goddess of Mistra and her creation. Yeah, that's actually a great yeah. place, I think, to start is... Uh, so for those who are a little bit newer on the lore side of, of magic... Quick TLDR, Mistria is the goddess of magic. She is the supreme one. There are a lot of minor gods of magic that you can you can find um, um, scattered about. Um, and I think we will be talking about them on a potential bonus episode. Uh, so Absolutely, baby. Little hint. Little hint, hint, hint. Cough, cough. Cough, cough. Nudge. But uh, so she does have some people who assist her with that, but she is the supreme deity of magic. She controls what is known as the weave. And the weave... The best way I like to describe it, and Mo might be able to enlighten a little more, is it's kind of like the Force. It's an all-encompassing magical aura that exists throughout the multiverse. And Mistria is like the guardian as well as sort of the curator of the weave. So if there's a break in the weave, she's the one that tries to correct or fix it. If there is portions of the weave that are out of balance, it's, it is kind of her keeping everything flowing in the directions that it should be. Yeah, it's... It's a great little topic that I always like to look up. Like I, I became fascinated with the entire creation of magics. I even designed my world around that entire idea. Uh, I like that one. I like the Forgotten Realms one, uh, for instance, in their creation. I also love Exandria's uh, for the critical role setting there, mm -hmm. their creation of uh, mythos of magic and how it actually exists based off the ley lines of the the planet. And I think that's always such a cool, cool concept, mind you. 
we're talking all this magic. Let's talk about the worlds that also don't really have access to magics, or at least their magic is skewed. I always like to mention the uh, ex Iron Kingdom setting. Iron Kingdom setting, for instance, uh, their healing magics is a little different, right? Healing magics, for instance, in the Iron Kingdom setting would hurt to reset that bone, to seal that wound. I do think the coolest thing about magic is the way that it's divided up, though. You have the arcane magics and you have the, you know, the magics that are more deity-based, divine magics. Right. And that, I think, something to help explain what we're talking about with settings is so we kind of know that Exandria, or not Exandria, sorry, Forgotten Realms follows the weave. It's kind of like this force. That's different from Exandria, right? You you know Correct. a little bit more on that. So what, what is the magic system or magic uh, availability, I guess, in Exandria? Exandria, again, is, is based around the ley lines, right? For instance, uh, consider them like magical ethers, right, that run across the entire planet. They are divided up and they kind of traverse the world almost like equator type of things like latitude longitude right they just they run across and they traverse the entire planes uh the wizards of that world or sorcerers or bards are the more again that's the like i was breaking down the arcane type of domains there right they focus more on studying those ley lines and then manipulating those ley lines to suit their needs so that's the i love that type of explanation and mercer and his creation i think his creation team and probably just his brain alone all hail be to Matt Mercer. <laughs> I'm joking. If Matt, Matt Mercer ever hears this, don't worry. I don't worship you yet. Yes. All right. We could make you a deity. We could. Yeah. We could. Absolutely. But, but it's he. they designed that world so that magic flows, that any disruption to those ley lines, currently hinting at campaign three right now, will affect maybe the way that magic is portrayed so right now. It, it, is the are the ley lines then controlled by any particular deity in that setting? Because I'm not as familiar with it, but or is it just like kind of a free flowing thing? So it's a free flowing thing. Uh, magic again, it, it kind of explains the idea of how sorcerers come into play, right? Mm -hmm. Sorcerers like, oh, it's their charisma that helps them. Oh, you know, I'm so cool and suave that I'm going to cast this cantrip at you. Ha <laughs> ha. Meanwhile, wizards are sitting there with a the book. Sorcerers should be constitution casters. I will stand by it. Oh my God. I've heard you say it. this a million times before. We'll stand by it till day I die. I know. It I, does yeah. It's in their blood. It They're is. It getting is from it. their blood. That it should, con is your resolution. It Correct. should be. I get it. should it. be the only con caster. It'd be cool. I get it. But hey, what about bards? Are you saying that bards, bards, bards magic yeah, yeah they, they are making it with music i would still consider music as a charisma charisma based, based. so yeah, as long yeah. as it fits that role. yeah i just but wanted i, just wanted I, to I can't that, be yeah. cool then and just be like hey pistol shoot off the side you can of my still hand. get you don't have to dump charisma but like i don't <laughs> think i think bars would be more your hey i'm so overwhelmingly personable yeah i'm off the hip i don't think that's a sorcerer but, I, they could be but regard, regardless regardless, regardless. <laughs> i know so what do you know actually uh not to cut you off there yeah. and i tend to do that anyway <laughs> uh <laughs> uh dark sun I oh know, yeah, you dark know, sun. You know the dark setting a little bit. A more. little, yeah, a little bit. So, dark sun is a very brutal setting. I want to preface that. I know I've referenced it. Um, we referenced it once in our bonus episode. Um, but dark sun is basically a setting where it is believed that magic, like evocation magic, your arcane magic, had basically rent the world asunder into such a bad position that magic, that sort of magic, no longer exists. Like it is basically cut off from the weave. It is a separate existent plane that Mystria, because um, it exists in the Forgotten Realms universe, Mystria no longer. Oh, it does exist in that same. Setting. So it is 
yes and no. It's it, it kind of goes into spell jamming where like the planes are connected, but they're still different spheres yeah we could go into a whole thing on it yeah for all intents and purposes, base is different than the astral yeah, sea or eberron yeah. and greyhawk and forgotten realms all exist at the same time in the same universe like in the same cosmos different solar systems different it's a spell jamming thing but yeah no i got you so, I, one of my favorite spells that the spell jammer brought around is the idea of being able to transport from one plane of existence to another plane, plane of existence. Yeah, I can't remember. I think it's called like plane, like someone's, uh, it's also like. create yeah. air. Why is that not? A, like, I mean, just say, like, you know how many poison clouds? Like, it's a great spell. Like, it really it, is. It, yeah. It's such a great spell. But I, sidetrack, sorry. Yeah, yeah. We, so, <laughs> guys, you know us by now. <laughs> We're going to get, oh, ooh, look, a squirrel. <laughs> <laughs> but the, so Dark Sun is kind of cut off from arcane magic. And also due to its being surrounded by what is called, um, I believe it's called the black plane and the gray plane or like the gray waste or something like that. Yeah, yeah. These two planes basically insulate it from the other outer planes. So divine magic can't reach it either. Ah, okay. So that's why it gives so realm... Similar to what uh, Exandria has currently in their setting. Yeah. The, kind of, kind, kind of, right? Of, yeah. where, where the gods can, uh, like, uh, I believe it's called the divine gate. Right, so they, yeah. Sorry so guys, there's... I love critical role. So I can sit here and talk about hours for <laughs> so it. So there's like a little bit, there's no real divine magic. There's no real arcane magic. So they get into these two different schools of magic known as defiling and pres preservation magic so this is something I, I was reading a little bit about before where it's uh the defilers like they can almost warp nature itself or it can be like detrimental mm -hmm. to nature but i know it varies based on where you go and i think it's always so unique to see people's like avenues and aspects into mag uh like that magic and dark set of suns just sounds like one of those settings that is just hey little bit of magic here and guess what see nature see all that lovely stuff you love burn it to the ground so baby. basically the easiest way to describe it and then we can move on because i don't want to go too far into the lore on yeah 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 on dark sorry it's like a whole episode yeah. <laughs> basically preservation magic works with the land so you're taking a little maybe a little bit of energy from the nat natural surrounding the natural energy but never too much never more than what you need and usually that lends itself to magic that is amplifying some part of the land so if there's a forest you might be using like spike growth or some, something akin to that or some sort of entangling spell maybe in the desert you might be using like a dust devil spell or something like that with like winds and you know using it to like blind enemies defile or think it more of like what you would think of with necro necrotic oh, like necro light or yes, something like that blight, you're yeah. drawing from the energy it turns the grass black like an avatar the last airbender when she's doing the bending thing yeah and then all the grass dies yeah that's defiling magic you're taking from the land to then like in witcher same thing you have to have a living thing you kill the living thing to get magic yeah no i yeah it's it's great now, this kind of leads us to our big topic. We've always been very vocal about our campaigns and how we run our campaigns. What is currently, you know, what is currently the setting in your world? How is magic ran? Is magic ran in a more, you know, type of effort in which it's uh, creation of magic itself? Do you have a, did you establish, do you have your own world? Let's, you know what, let's dumb this down a little bit. In your setting, what is the lore? Is it a established lore? Do you have? Are you playing in yeah, Forgotten so Realms, I, or doing, are you playing in like something of your own creation? So in so I have, I, I currently run three. Okay. Okay. Um, and two of them are in Forgotten Realms, like the continent of Faerun, like they are in the Forgotten Realms setting. It's that. The other one is a spell jamming campaign. They started 
it's still in the Forgotten Realms, but it's in the out one of the outer planets of the Forgotten Realms. And again, I'm not going to get too far into it. So they all use the Mystria, God of the Weave sort of idea of magic, where like arcane magic kind of comes from this. The gods bestow people divine magic, and divine magic kind of runs into natural magic. I know we mentioned one D&D. They separate that off into primal magic. Primal magic um, as well, yeah. That's so it's divine, arcane, and primal. Correct. Um, but it kind of runs into that. And I don't really make any sort of limitation in my settings, typically. Um, again, as we've mentioned, most of the people that I DM for are, le- you know, mo- at most maybe 18 months experience, but most of them have less than seven, eight months in D&D. So I don't want to go too hard on a on a magic system, like a, especially a low magic system. If the if they, I'm seeing people want to be like spellcasters and things, it's a little bit tough to get a new player invested in a low magic campaign yeah i so for instance uh, with me in my world and the way that i've crafted my world i've i made magic more common more accessible even to like more basic specifically though i've leaned more towards cantrips i i always talk about this one and my players and i have mentioned it but they've mentioned it to me a couple times but i i remember i created a drink in which the uh the bartender turns the drink purple with a little spell that they a simple yeah. cantrip right so that that would be a setting in which magic is much more high in common but what i have had to do and what something i've struggled with is that i've had to go back and readjust prices for instance, mm-hmm. spell costs for scrolls and things like that for a wizard to copy it down. Sure, I can establish these certain ones as costing as this, but again, it gets to be a little bit more complicated if I want to try and cap it. Like, I'm not going to try and like, you're not going to be able to get like a seventh level scroll, right? right. It's just not going to happen. Right. You're not going to buy very that. guarded. They're going to be, yeah, yeah. like it's not going to exist. Yeah. So they would be guarded. And it, it, and if it does, it's, it would be rare and few and far between. Right. But I've made it where cantrips and things like that, maybe even some first level spells are accessible more by the common folk, which means I've taken common folk stats and kind of increased them a little right. bit. So I kind of do something similar. I don't really give them the spell. Mm-hmm. I give them uh, like especially commoners. I make it more accessible in like an item kind of harry potter enchantment style so a lot of what i do especially in like a bigger city so like some of my characters are in water deep be like you have a barber they have a prestigitation pair of scissors and that's what does the haircut that's and the all dying. And, do you have you a mage hand cut yeah, it basically yeah. yeah it's like it's like and it's just them it's just them like directing like, it's one it's one you know hairstylist directing four different haircuts with these magical scissors at the same time and they're just and the scissors are just kind of doing it you know kind of thing so i make stuff like that um, that would be like improvement of life sort of things, very accessible. But for like general spell casting, that still requires you to sow some sort of affinity. Like, so the average person could buy these scissors, right? Or could buy a broom that sweeps or, you know, stuff like that in a big city. That's the most Mickey Mouse thing I've ever yeah, had in my very life. Fan, yeah. We're not sponsored by Disney either. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. Yet. <laughs> um, but we, as you get further out, so as my players are kind of traveling and go to small towns, that might not be the case because there's not as many arcane people who could enchant that kind of stuff, right? So it kind of does depend on where you are within the realm as to whether or not it's high, low magic. Do well. you feel then, you know, to kind of finish it off here, but do you feel then that having a high magic or a low magic setting can be detrimental to a campaign like for instance you feel like high magic is just it's too common or low magic it's not enough like again you heard me talk about it before but divine magic for instance in the iron kingdom's world Mm -hmm. it's very 
painful, for an instance, right? I'm, I'm, let's healing word does exist within the uh, Iron Kingdom setting, but healing word, right? And you're healing them, and it's just it is painful setting a bone back into place, sewing up the skin. Like it's, ugh. So, I know we're getting close to October, had, but no. <laughs> so I actually had this in the campaign I was referencing. That's the spell jamming campaign. When they got to this city um, that they were in, uh, I basically had they found out through some successful checks the city is does not approve of divine magic at all. They're big, like basically atheistic society almost. Not truly because like they know the gods exist and like have power. That's but it's like very athe like, atheistic in the sense of adjacent. That setting. Yeah. yeah, adjacent. Yeah, yeah right. Um, and so, you know, within that, they, like, there were different, you know, a lot of, I had a couple players who had, like, kind of some divine magic and would, ca you know, cast these spells and they would run the risk of, like, the guards seeing it, people seeing it, reporting it. So I do think it depends on what you want to achieve with your setting. If you want spellcasters to stand out, making a low magic setting very beneficial. So one thing that I draw from, and I think someone who does it very well to start off, is um murph from nadpod yeah he starts out season one and they're in uh moonbow or whatever that's moonstone i believe moonstone. Yeah. yeah moonstone that's low magic literally the only magic thing in there is a trident at the bottom of the lake and they have a very fun-filled campaign with facing only like one spell caster for the first five levels or something like that i'm currently uh <clears throat> going back and listening and to i'm currently on episode three because i be never very, listened to it so <laughs> that would be a very low magic position but then when they move to like galateron or these other big areas magic's you know more willy-nilly it's, yeah. it's, it's not as you know uncommon to see someone being able to use mage hand or gust or things like that so i think your world should be dynamic for sure but if you want your players to stand out more, especially the ones with the magic, low magic setting, if you want your players to kind of be like, hey, I'm I'm a part of the general system, but get recognition later on when they're like their 10th, 11th, 12th level, a high magic system kind of favors like, hey, you're just kind so of- So you would change it then based on the current leveling? Well, just depending on where they are. Where they are at the time. I guess, okay. yeah. So okay. I've done low magic settings where like the whole setting is low magic, but I think generally mine fluctuates. So it's high magic in like, an, uh, like a city or an arcane school or something like that. You'd be more high magic, right? There's a lot like the books float around or there's, you know, a rug that teleports you or what, whatever, you know, there's just more things because there's more wealth. There's more spell casters drawn in that area. It makes sense. There's more magic items, right? Low magic is usually reserved for like your your faraway realms, maybe a kingdom that's been ravaged by war or things like that. Yeah, I uh, I've always looked at it like a, you know history's point of view when it comes to magic, especially if you do want to do a low magic setting or something along those lines. I've always looked at it like you know if you were to go back in time in a time machine, you were to show them like a lighter, they would consider that magical, right? Mm -hmm. Because they don't know how that flame it's like technology to one setting could be magical to another exactly so it's always i always love that Two type of, artificers yes oh my god I, we could have a full conversation on that but that being said i do believe we go back to everyone's favorite game show let's talk world creation everyone where we turn everyone's where you turn your brain <laughs> into mind flayer mush and let your two charismatic charming voices with the choices dms design over world with a little input from you so let's go ahead and pick up exactly where we left off from before. We just got done with some NPC names creations. We uh, went through a little bit of fun creation. I see, uh-oh, guys, I'm letting you know. 
Brewmaster Austin, he's grabbing his little notebook. He's been creating the world of vanilla and chocolate and Lake Sukar next to the larger city of, you can hear the pages flipping in the background. It is amazing, Brewmaster Austin. But he picked up from there. We just uh, crafted some names. We came up with some creations uh, for their the buildings, uh, uh, the families that may exist. Uh, we decided that to lean towards more a dwarven pantheon, I believe here. Mm -hmm. So uh, where would you like to pick up here from uh, now, Brewmaster Austin? I know you had some ideas we were sh uh, spitballing here from before. Yeah, so I think... Uh, you know, we we established a lot of the main NPCs in your first two villages. So that be you know being Vanilla and Chocolat. With that, we're gonna move over to Caramel. The town it's technically classified as a town. It's still not a city or anything like that, but it's a the bigger area, right? And we had talked very briefly um, in the last World Creation episode about doing factions, and one of them we wanted to do was definitely like a craftsman guild uh, for like the blacksmiths, maybe your leather workers, things of that nature, like things that are working in like material good um, that are not luxury goods, right? So probably a crafter's guild of some sort, like a guildsman would be one of our four factions. I think it's very important and we when, did say we want to lean them towards more of a political party at right, least at exactly. this point. Since and we did so establish, I believe, four political four, four political parties. Right. So you're you can easily imagine how this craftsman guild is not necessarily focused so much on outside, maybe foreign policy, things like that. Their true focus is to make better conditions either for whatever their guild, better trade rates, less tariffs, whatever it is, they're focused on that. So a very easy way, uh, I'm going to give start giving more plot hooks as we talk about the bigger areas because as a side note, we don't, I don't, and I know Mo doesn't, flesh out every person within a 10,000 person town. It's too impossible to do. It's not just that it's too impossible. You are going to reach what I like to call the the overstressed DM status. It exists, guys. You need to give yourself a break. After every good session, I will go two to three days without thinking about it. Mind you, ideas will pop into my head and I may jot down a note, but there is no point as DMs to sit there and brood over it for a week. Mm -hmm. everything I'm going to do. Okay, I got to establish this character, this little yep. character. Have a cheat sheet behind your DM screen if you do use a DM screen or have it just a sheet of paper that has random names on it. Mm -hmm. If you can, I am, again, Brewmaster Austin, you're right next to my DM screen. Yep. You can see a little bit of the stuff that I had back there. Yeah, I've got a, a yeah, I've got a stuff there with cheat sheet names that says humans, dwarves, things that I want to establish in my world. You don't need it all flushed out. They right. can just be a random NPC they run into and I'm telling you, your players are going to go, what's their name? Yep. Hey, and what's their name? List, and you just have a list of names uh, with you, again, off a of fantasy generator or whatever you want to do if you want to pre-write pre a few names. But you should never feel that you have to have everything flushed out at all times. So uh, we're going to do today the guilds, the like political factions, that, and maybe like the ruling uh, sort of bureaucrats that we talked about, because we are doing a democracy. So we're going to have a governor instead of a magistrate, because it's going to be a regional city. You mean a governor? Governor, yes. Hello, love. Hello, puppet. Uh. <laughs> um, so we have our crafters guild, right? And we did mention that uh, at least Chocolade and Vanilla were big farming communities. We did. So I do think that there would be some sort of political party that would probably try to relate to them. And just because, you know, I'm a big history and political science nerd, we're going to call one the Populist Party. Oh, there we go. 
So you have your now we're digging into the world. You have your po- you have your populist party. <laughs> they're all about the common the common farmer. They're yes. trying they're trying to help the the low people who they they would probably see as like the providers of society, right? Because even though they may not make the most money, have the most glamorous job without things to eat, you die. So they're very much attributing to that sort of mentality, like you are the backbone of society sort of thing. Um, Then you're probably going to have something that's the counter to it, right? You're going to have something that focuses more maybe on on the luxury or on um, your higher merchant status. So maybe we can do a competing guild because you have your your crafters guild or something like that. Merchants guild. Merchants guild. A merchants guild would be great merchants because guild. you could see them that they are literally are they're are saying, "Hey, I, we you need to give us this at this price." We make you prosperous. Correct. We make yeah. you prosperous. And yeah. we mentioned that we have the snickerdoodles as our guards. So I would like to propose, I know we mentioned maybe making them called the snickers, but I think the snickers should be the fourth political party as like almost a loyalist party. Yes. Loyal to the crown. Well, yes. Of whatever. Oh my God, yes. So the Snickers are this like loyalist party, right? And so now you've got four very unique guilds, factions, political parties, whatever you want to call them, with four distinct, unique interests. And those sort of frictions between them, you can easily imagine. You can easily see how lower tariffs for the uh, you know for importing goods right for the merchants might affect the crafters right because now they're gonna have to lower their prices to compete with these goods that are no longer being taxed at a higher percentage right or you can easily see how the you know the populists might not get along with the merchants right because they're like hey farm we need to do more subsidies for farming we need to help the farmers make their lives better and the merchants are like we're the ones making you money we bring in the prosperity to caramel not the farmer so our interests should supersede and you can easily see how a loyalist might have problems with all or none they might just be like hey as long as no one's saying anything heretical yeah we're kind of cool with keeping the even flow right but each of those factions would obviously probably have a headquarters so you can make you know a headquarters with a general a general leader of each of those and i think that might be a good place for us to do a little bit of npc um creation. npc creation a little more npc creation. i like it so i'm kind of thinking for the crafters guild i almost want it to be the no nonsense older crafter He's been there for probably two centuries, so we need a race that's been around a while, like a gnome, an elf, a, a gnome. I think a gnome, a gnome would be great. A gnome would be absolutely fantastic. An older gnome, he's probably a little, not miserly, but wise, um, acting more as a, kind of a tempering force, I kind of see it as, because what you're going to think is the crafters, they've been doing their craft, honing their craft, they know their craft is necessary, right? You know, as we mentioned in our very first creation episode, blacksmiths, if you don't have them, cities, towns, villages, they go away. Your leather workers, you can obviously need them for saddles, for horses, for like the snickerdoodles, like, you know, if they're mounted, you need them for caravans, you need them for different things like that. You need wood carvers to help make carts. You need all of these sorts of things, right? I got them. You got him? I'm what? looking right at him. Yeah. It was the first thing that popped up on Fantasy Name Generator. Pooknik. P-O-O-K-N-E-C. 
There's something about a name that just sticks out. You want that old surly gnome. If anyone knows Travis's character from the current uh, critical role thing, Chetney. Perfect. That's exactly what I'm imagining right now. I'm kind of envisioning the same thing, just maybe a little bit more grandfatherly, a little bit more. He's not quite fiery as Mm -hmm. Chetney can be sometimes. A little bit more laid back really just focused on the well-being of his individual crafters. I think that's kind of what I'm seeing. I'm kind of seeing them as like maybe not a big moving force in policy, more of just like as long as they don't affect our thing and hurt us, we're kind of cool with whatever else is going on because the prices you charge someone for a gym don't affect us. No. Then for your your populists, I want I'm kind of thinking a little bit more of oh god what was what was the guy's name from like the 1890s Bryant it was something Bryant he was a Golden Cross guy it was American history um, he was a big fiery like we need to support you know the the lower kind of kind of thing go back to like the gold standard and all this stuff but I'm thinking I want something like passionate for Master Austin remind me of what races have we established already so we've established world? that we have dragonborns we have humans we have elves we have gnomes we have uh dwarves and I am kind of leaning then on that case to a dragonborn based name here I think a dragonborn name would be very like, I like it it, it it would work with the fire and passion I like it so especially because if my memory serves me correctly we made the um uh, Part of the end and brew house staff, two separate entities in Chocolade Dragonborns. And I think that would be very interesting to have, like, because they would be considered part of this, you know, general populist sort of crowd. Um, so I, I, I like that. Let's do with a Dragonborn for that. Vegas, B A E G U S. And I kind of like this. We can call them, for instance, uh, Fantasy Name Generator also lets you uh, add, like, some type of like surname. But it, the full name would be Vegas the Mammoth. Almost he's got that fire, the passion, right? I just imagine this big hulking figure who kind of just has that. So what about if we're going with like fantasy uh, name, what about Vegas the Displacer? I kind of like it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I kind of like it. I really like it. Yeah, that's a good one. The Displacer. I love that. Okay. So then now we're looking at the Merchant Skill. And so what I'm kind of thinking for the merchant skilled is I kind of want someone who is condescending, but in a way that would be trying to like intellectually outwit you. So he's like, it would be someone who, if you're not clever enough, you would think he was complimenting you. But when you have like maybe the insight or the understanding or the political awareness, social awareness, you kind of understand he's talking down, kind of taking a shot at you subliminally. So like for, um, you know, for uh, uh, how did you pronounce our our gnomish friend's name? Oh, Putnik. Putnik. So you, for him, he would probably describe him as simple. Yeah. You know, and you would be like, oh, wow, there's nothing wrong with being simple. But in the way he says it, you realize he's calling him dumb. You like, so I want something like that. I'm thinking something like on the face, trustworthy, but really it's all about that almighty dog. Elena. Ooh, I like that. I like Elena. it. I was, uh, I'm looking at some uh, half elf names is where I came up with it. And there was one. I love the idea of a stout halfling being the leader of the merchant guild. I'm kind of in agreement. Yeah. So again, and we've mentioned this before in our last NPC, the name could be based out of a gnomish name. It could be based out of a human name, right? But again, cultures are you know intermingling with one another. Names are going to start you know getting you know skewed and changed based on you know cultural and environmental impacts. So, yeah. And I'm going to go ahead and give the clan name for it. Yeah. Helena Goldleaf. 
Oh, absolutely. Make it very obvious oh, they yeah. are about that almighty Gimme, give gimme, give gimme give yeah. your man. All right, we're done. Gimme, <laughs> gimme, give gimme give your ducats after midnight. Won't somebody help me give me all the gold? Oh. All right, now we've been copyrighted. <laughs> <laughs> now we're done. Now we're done. Um, but then the last one um, that we had were the Snickers. And so for the Snickers, I want almost, almost emotionless. I'm thinking giant or maybe a dwarf maybe a, you know like a hill dwarf or something i'm thinking a very like stoic almost to the point of being cold with how short their response is their only thought is devotion to the crown nothing else matters so i'm getting a couple names here and a lot of giant names tend to just be honest and just upfront. yeah what i'm liking is uh god there's two that i'm kind of stuck between so there's one that one, I like. Two, three, pick it. Onar. Onar, I like it. H O N A R. Onar. All right. And so, yeah, I'm thinking him, as I was kind of describing, very stoic, very cold. Not cold and on purpose, but cold just because his answers are very direct. I'm kind sure. of imagining like a handlebar mustache. Yeah, like a handlebar mustache. mustache. Yeah. He, might, he might ask you, you know, how has, you know, uh, how is the bandit raids being on the on the caravan? He's like, he's like, taken care of we have, this evening. We have, we have taken care of those. And that'd be it. And that's all the information he's going to give you. And yeah. while that might seem curt, it's not out of a curtness. It's just out of like his... He is he is fully in that military idea of like short, complete, full answers, move away with the description, all of that. Absolutely. So I think that right there is, is is a good start for our political sort of uh, situation within that. You can easily see how all those factions can view certain situations in the same way, right? So an invading army, bad for all factions. Absolutely. Burns, burns crops, stops trade hurts the power of the crown, you know, and with the, uh, what would be, what would be the other one? The crafters, less people to buy goods. Like, yeah. I mean, it's just, it, it's, it's all, all connected. That. It's all connected. Yeah. So you can see how, even though we created factions that are at odds with each other, there's still ways to bring the factions together. But by that same token, there's also ways like we described earlier with the tariffs or maybe, you know, um, one of the royal decrees not being followed for the loyalists that's maybe helping out the farmers or the merchants or something like that. You know, like they're not taxing appropriately. There's all kinds of things that you could do. It's changing. It's, it's changing, changing basically on the environment based exactly. on what's going exactly. on within your town. Based off, let's be honest here, at some point, based off what the PCs will be end doing. Up doing. Yeah, the yeah. PCs will have a great effect on yeah. this. And I think that's the most important thing. And there are rules in the DMG for benefits within a faction. So you don't have to create status within the faction within the dmg there are multiple pages and i think they even expand upon it in tasha's cauldron of everything they add additional things there's a lot tasha's cauldron of everything but they set like hey if they do a couple good deeds this might be their status they might get some benefits so like when you start out if they're like hey you know what we're gonna join the merchant's guild right we're gonna be kind of their arm right their sword and shield and we're gonna help them out so it might seem start off with like, oh, you're just a member, maybe level, and then maybe you're level one, you know, with them is like you get like a five percent discount uh, at these merchant, you know, adjoined shops that are a part of the guild, and then maybe you know the second one is like you get a free health potion each month from you know the merchant's guild as like a thank you for your service. You know, there are different things you can do and that don't necessarily have to be give them all plus three weapons. You can do other things 
to make it easier, like free travel between cities on merchant carts, something like that to just ease the burden on your PCs that that wouldn't really hurt the merchant guild as well. And so much of this is, again, like Austin mentioned, in the back of the DMG. Just pick it up, guys. We're talking about like page, uh, I believe it's page 244. I think mm -hmm. that one discusses, uh, what am I looking at? Social interactions. I think it's somewhere in that general yeah. vicinity. It's around that area. It's, I know it's around that area. So you don't have so to worry about definitely it. Definitely go give I it a look. That will be a great place for us to stop today because that's a lot of information and it's a lot of potential. And we do, I don't want to flesh out that potential because again hope we are hoping to run a game with some of our lovely listeners through this so i don't want to give away my ideas on where these factions are going to start having conflicts but those are just some general ideas and you could easily see how those personalities of each of the leaders might play into conflict as well that being said brewmaster austin i do believe it is time for final thoughts here final thoughts where oh where Will I take this final thought, Brewman? Muscle Wizard cast fists, Austin. Always. Muscle Wizard must cast the fist. That's right. I've said it time and time again here on this lovely podcast that you and I have so graciously created. Muscle Wizard must cast fist. I want to know funniest combination you've got for a multi-cast. Uh, class there, Austin. Uh, on, on, am I using wizard as a multi? You can use anything you'd like. You want to make a, for instance, Austin. Do you want to make a paladin who became, I don't know, a part artificer, and he's got a bionic arm, or maybe, maybe a ranger whose dump stat is his strength. Maybe just something that doesn't make sense statistically, and you know, thematically, <laughs> may not make sense, but it brings you a little joy. I've got, I've got one. It does kind of work together with the scores a little bit, but I think it's a really fun character combo is a shadow monk with a light domain cleric. Oh, I so love it. Shadow monk, for those of you who don't know, quick, like 10 second DLDR, shadow magic, you can teleport in shadows, cast darkness, really cool. Light domain cleric, fireball. You get fireball as a cleric amazing so I between love the two of it you both use wisdom so you can you know still have it and the deck score if you're not wearing heavy armor can still matter so you can still kind of make it work with the scores but it's really funny because you've got this dual side of you you worship this light cleric but then you also have like your monk training has been very dark and focused on like moving through the shadows as one <laughs> and so it's a very interesting combo you'd kind of be doing a mix of both and don't forget divine strikes as a cleric would apply on your monk weapon so you can also kind of have a little bit of burst with your monk weapon doing an extra d8 of radiant damage on top of the normal damage and still your flurry of blows to use it plus a spiritual weapon you can see how it can stack and it's not front loaded no but after about 10 levels and two rounds of combat you're gonna be just dishing out damage I'll tell you one that I actually made here. I made a dex-based barbarian before. Ooh, that was fun, but it was very hard, especially at the lower levels. We only got to, I believe, like level five. I believe the biggest issue that I ran into is that I had to find a way and a weapon. And my uh, DM at the time there uh, did let me get away with it, but I was able to get a rapier. Mm. So again, rapiers will let you use your lovely dex uh, dex score to incorporate. Right. What I was missing on is the rage bonus. Uh, right. I wasn't getting my plus two. I wasn't being able to add my extra attack for strength. But again, I was already a barbarian who I'm taking half damage from everything. Right. And uh, I did subclass into, I believe, uh, that uh, side of things where I made myself completely almost invulnerable oh, to the everything. Totem warrior. Totem yeah. a warrior. Yeah. Thank you very much. But uh, 
what I ended up running into is that I, uh, I ran into the biggest problem of all, which was the fact that I needed strength in certain cases and I was not. So I could rage, I, I'll roll with advantage, but it was not working out for me. However, I was still hard to hit and that's kind of why I focused on it so much. A dex-based barb, ugh. Muscle wizard cast fist, ugh. I love it all. We discussed it. we discussed great things here today, Brewmaster Austin. And with that note being said, I think that we have established great things for Vanilla and Chocolat and Caramel and the land that, don't worry guys, we're going to name it. We talked about that. Next episode, we will be naming it. We will be naming it in episode number seven. Speaking of which, everybody, it's time to wrap things up. I've been your Brewmaster Mo. And I'm Austin. Thank you guys for joining us here on this episode of Dungeons and Brews. Part of the pod part of the brew.